This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome former PGA Tour player and U.S. Amateur champion Jeff Quinney to the Sub-70 podcast. Uh, Jeff, appreciate you taking the time today. Been looking forward to this conversation. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, so how's life treating you these days uh, up in the Northwest? Are you playing much golf or are you doing more on the business side now? Um, kind of uh, how's your summer going? And if you are playing some golf, how's it progressing? It's it's going great. You know, my permanent residence is normally in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, so kind of my summer routine has been the last couple of years to come up here, usually right after July 4th when it really gets hot down in Arizona. Uh, I got my mom, and I got three brothers that live in Oregon, so I spent some time up here during this COVID time. I've really spent, I've almost been here two months now. Um, I'm planning on going back next week, but uh it's been great. You know, the Northwest in the summer has been awesome. Uh, I still, I'm an honorary member at Eugene Country Club here in Eugene. So I play probably two or three times a week. Um, can kind of manage my, my business and the real estate affairs from up here for the meantime, but heading back to soon to get back to work. Is it serious golf anymore? Or do you kind of, has that been turned off a little bit and you just kind of play with your buddies out there? And is that switch a hard thing if it isn't, you know, to the level you were once at, is it hard at times to be as motivated to play golf since you played it at the highest level at a, you know, very successful, you know, career and everything that you did? Yeah, it's definitely not serious now. I think my handicap is still a plus three. I've had a 64 and a 66 up here this summer. Playing with the men's tees, kind of the white tees here, which is a little bit shorter. Um, but there definitely was a transition there from, you know, my last, competitive uh, Q school was 2015 and it was a real transition of, of playing competitive golf to kind of playing weekend warrior type of uh, handicap golf and you know not practicing very much hitting balls for 15 minutes of warm-up and going to the tee so I was definitely frustrated at times there and I was almost playing uh, playing worse because you know expectations were so high and then you don't practice and you don't you know, put the time in and the effort, and then you don't play, get the results. You kind of get frustrated. Almost, almost deterred you from playing the game a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with it. Like I said, to play at the level you played at, which you know, realistically on tour at, at your best, your handicap is probably plus eight. Yeah. You know, plus yeah. nine, and you know, we would all kill to be plus threes, but it's not to the level you guys play at on tour. And like I said, I've always found it. You know, when the guys who do switch gears and aren't doing it professionally anymore, is it? Is it? Is it, is it hard to get to that next? Is it hard to just enjoy it as a casual golfer anymore? And I imagine, like you said, there's parts that you still love, but I'd have to imagine there is parts of like, no, in my best, that that wedge shot would have been in that six foot circle. Yeah, and you know, I hit it to twenty feet, and I'm just like, oh my god, you're, you're awful. And your you're playing part, partners are going, nice shot. Yeah, right. No, it's uh, definitely a transition, maybe a little learning curve. Um, one, I think I just I learned to enjoy the game now and love the game, and uh, you know take a car, put the music on, have a beverage or two, you know, just relax and enjoy and 
and not put any pressure on yourself. I mean, sometimes when you you play with somebody and they're like, oh, this, you know, you see your accolades and they expect you to to play great and you hit some silly shots. Like this guy actually played golf for a living, you know, and I still hit those type of shots today. And um, I've kind of learned just to to play the game that keeps it in front of you, make some putts, you know, and uh, have fun with it. Well, I know you're also working in real estate, like you mentioned. Um, are you on the commercial side, residential side, and how has that, you know, career blossomed for you? And how much are you enjoying kind of using your business background from the degree you got? And and kind of, I know you have some family history in real estate as well, and kind of taking that lineage and moving forward with it. Yeah, you know, when I was making a little bit of money, my dad, when my dad was around, we uh, invested in some count, campus prop, uh, properties up here in Eugene, as far as duplexes and triplexes and apartments, and that you know that. It really has turned out well as an investment. So I've kind of adopted that in Arizona where I have some rental properties that I do really well on the short-term rentals and VRBOs and stuff like that. And so when I had some downtime, I really wanted to kind of figure out what I want to do with my, my life and career. And going to real estate school just seemed like a, a legit um, opportunity just to kind of learn our family business, what we kind of do, and um, and be able to help. And then in Arizona, I got my license about four years ago, I think, and a good buddy of mine, Brett Engner, was the owner and broker of the company, so he's like, hey, come on with me, and I'll train you, so it's called Everyday Investments Realty, and we're officed in Scottsdale, and, you know, we, we do a little bit of everything. We do property management to commercial, we do residential, we do a little jack trades of all everything. And it's got to be kind of cool for a potential client if somebody's looking at a property, you get to go play golf with former PGA Tour player, you know, U.S. Amateur champion. It's not a, it's not a bad thing for, you know, for some some business from that standpoint and some client golf. I'm sure it has to, you know, kind of be a nice advantage for you as well because you know who doesn't want to play with guys who played at that level if you love golf. Yeah, I mean that's my thought process of the whole play, of the whole thing. Um, who doesn't want to be your own boss? I mean, I've, I've been my own boss. I'd be able to you know, take two months off and don't have to be in an office every day. I can come up to work and get away, you know, work remotely whenever I need to. You know, got a team back home that can always help you if you need to, some help on the real estate side. But, yeah, exactly. It's all about relationships and real estate and being around the golf industry and playing golf with people. That's where a lot of deals get done. Well, let's talk USAM. Uh, it was up in your neck of the woods at Bandon Dunes. I'm assuming uh, you've played that golf course many times growing up in that area. Uh, what was your overall impressions of the event? How do you think the course has held up? And of all the tracks out there, is there one or two uh, of those courses that are your favorite when you go play? You know, it's, it was pretty awesome to watch that this summer. You know, I haven't played all the new ones yet. Um, I'm trying to get down there before I leave. But, um, you know, I qualified in, in 2000, and I think the course had just been built in 1998 or 1999. It was relatively new. I had played a, a previous match play tournament, the Pacific Northwest match play um, a summer before, and another event. So at least I knew the course, and I really had struggled to get qualified for the USAM. Um, so that was a, just a huge hurdle, number one, to get to the main event. Because uh, I had lost in some playoffs, and you, you basically had tried since you were 15, 16 years old, and I finally qualified when I was 21 years old. Yeah, and looking back at it now, you know, 20 years later, you know, like it is a grind. It is just, you know, just to qualify from the match play and then get through that gauntlet. What 
you know, it's one hell of a tough week and it's a hell of an accomplishment. It's life changing to win it. Looking back, sort of what memories do you, do you have of that week? You know, obviously you came out on top, but the struggle to get there, all the work that went into it, kind of looking back now, you know, what, what, what two or three things still really stand out from that accomplishment? There's a couple of things, you know, basically, and I, I think it was five over after the, the first nine holes, um, the first qualifying day, and pretty much was behind the eight ball, thinking I'm going to pack my bags and go all the way from New Jersey back to, to Oregon, and all of a sudden, you know, I was somehow maybe shoot one under on the back nine, shoot a couple under the second day to make it in the, in the middle of the pack of match play, but some other things that just really stood out after watching the AM last week was some of these guys are, you know, three, four, four down, and that was not that type of spot. You know, those guys never gave up and really flip the matches, you know. It's really hard to close out a match. You're playing too conservative or whatnot. So I was, I was kind of on both sides. I was down three and four in the matches, and I was up three and three in matches and, and hard, hard, had a hard time closing them out. But, um, you know, it's, it's 20 years ago. It's pretty amazing. Um, people just still talk about it. And, this, you know, every week they say on TV, USA I'm a champion, or if it's Matt Cooch or if it's, you know, Kelly Kraft. You see, you just hear all these guys' names, and it really sticks with them the rest of their career. Did you do you play match play at that you know at that level? Did you play different than you played metal play? So, in other words, overall score obviously doesn't count when it gets there. Did you play more aggressively, or did you naturally just play your game as it would be on a you know uh, a standard sort of seventy-two hole tournament? I think it just kind of comes down to my kind of athletic background of, of not wanting to lose. You know, I'll try to beat you in ping pong or a free throw contest or whatever. And you really get focused on to each shot, each hole. You know, I think sometimes when you in a stroke play event, you shoot five, six under the first day, or you kind of are just playing protective, or you're thinking about, am I going to win this four days? You know, it's just you're looking too far in advance. And match play just really got me focused. And to just beat that, beating that guy head to head, you know, if he hit the fairway or if he hit in the rough, you just play defensive or offensive golf. But yeah, if you're down, you got to play aggressive. And if you're if you're tied, you kind of make make par and make them make the mistakes. That's the best part of match play, right? It's like the overall. I mean, it's just it's like essentially eighteen individual matches. I love that. Yeah, you know, of going up against it, and then you know, yeah, it can change in how you perceive it. Um, but it's always interesting the guys do that the best. Like, how do they sort of look at that that challenge? And they at first you just kind of play your game. But I'm sure, like I said, in the end, if you're up three, you're not going to take the risk. But it's I think it's the best way to play competitive golf. I love it personally. Yeah, I mean, I've um, talked to other players or even you know buddies that I've beat, like a DJ Trahan, the following year when I defended. You know, he still remembers the bunker shot I hold on him. You know, and that, I think that's my type of game of maybe chipping in a little bit, making a long putt. Not missing short putts. I think if I don't think I missed a short putt all week in, in these really hard greens at Baltusrol, and you know that's just don't give away holes, and then that's what uh, really I think the grinding out part of that. And, you know, some guy that hits the fairway, you know, 14 times and hits every green, but if you hit it outside of it and you make a 20 foot putt and somehow he three putts, it's just the beauty of match play. Yeah, game changer right there, yeah. right? Boom, momentum goes the other direction. Well, the other cool part, U.S. you know, AM champ, you get to play the Masters, you get the U.S. Open, you get the Open Championship. How is that experience as an amateur going into that event? Do you kind of like just more happy to be there, or are you really focused? Like, look, I've already you know won the U.S. AM. I can play 
high-end competitive golf. I'm here to win. Like, how do you, how did you view those major championships for the first time, getting the starts in them? Yeah, I think I wish I would have handled it a little more differently. Um, a little bit of both. Really absorb it more, uh, especially the Masters. I, mean, I had some cool, cool things happen. You know, played the practice round with Arnold Palmer, played with VJ, defending champ. But at the same time, I just don't think I was mentally prepared. Um, you know, I was 21 years old, but it, it just seemed like these 21-year-old nowadays somehow are just not scared of the, the element. And I just needed to get out of my own way somehow. And maybe I was thinking about, you know, endorsements. If you play well, then your stock kind of goes up. And you kind of just putting too much pressure on yourself. So I wish I would have enjoyed it more. It's, it's interesting you say that. What do you think the difference is these days where these – you know, really good college golfers come out and, you know, we all know who they are, then boom, like right to the PGA Tour and boom, they win. Yeah. Where it used to be like even a generation ago, hey, you had to kind of grind your way up to your 26 or something, 27, and I've done a lot of interviews with people and they're all kind of like, yeah, I had to learn how to win. I kind of had to learn how to be a professional. What do you think the difference is now that these kids can just come out there and it's like, no problem. Biggest stage in the world, no problem. Yeah, I think it's just starting earlier. You know, definitely the Tiger effect. You know, guys are getting video instruction from 10 years old versus just having your local pro. I mean, they're just they're trained at such an early age. Um, the equipment factor. You know, when I was growing up in the late early 90s, we we're just kind of hitting those tailor-made burner plus. You know, metal woods. You thought they were huge at the time, and you look at them now, they're they're teeny. And so it was more of like a, yeah. a tempo kind of swing. Um, where you had to hit like the center of the phase, kind of like a, you know, like a Payne Stewart type of swing, where you're just flowy. And now these guys just jump out of their shoes, and the equipment's so good that you know, they can really control the flight. They know the path of TrackMan and all this stuff. Uh, you know, from coaching to mental coaching, um, just not being not afraid. But yeah, like you said, I feel like I had to put my couple years on the web.com at the time or whatever tour it is, Corn Ferry now, and put in your dues. You know, I wasn't ready at 22, 23 to go out, you know, trying to play for a million-dollar purse. That, that, would have been, that would have scared the crap out of me. I was going to ask you, since you brought him up, was there any good Tiger stories uh, that played in those first majors that you got to see him, talk to him, potentially play with him? Uh, how, you know, how was that experience if you did get to meet him as a, you know, you guys were in the same fraternity, you guys both won USAMs. Mm-hmm. Um, what was what was that like if you met him and I'm assuming you had some interaction with him? Yeah, you know, Casey Martin, his teammate at Stanford, is a really good friend of mine. He grew up on my, my home course, so that was kind of a a bridge we could talk to a little bit. But, yeah, what do you talk to Tiger Woods about on the course, right? He's going for his fifth major in a row um, after the Tiger Slam. I got paired with him at the Southern Hills in Tulsa, and, you know, it's 105 degrees and, june in tulsa and it's 10 deep and i've never seen so many people and my family could barely watch and i don't think i made my first part of like number five it was just like you know just thrown into the fire it was pretty awesome i wish i would have handled a little bit different got a little more prepared i wasn't swinging very well i wasn't very confident off the tee but and what a cool experience that was to to have that on your belt well, how do you, yeah, I mean, how do you even prepare for that, right, until you go through it once? I can't imagine you could do all the mental prep work you want and tell yourself it's going to be X, and all of a sudden, you know, holy shit, I'm teeing off in front of 50,000 people. Yeah, I've thought about right? like over the, the years. Um, you know, I really prepared for that first tee shot, I think. And I, you know, I was so nervous, but I think mentally I had to hit that and prepare for that, and I hit the fairway, and I'm like, okay, here we go. 
And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now what do I do? And smelled an iron, eight iron over the green, chipped up, two-putted for double. It's almost like he, I didn't prepare for the whole experience. It was just something like, well, maybe I did, if I could just get off the first tee and not top it or my hands aren't shaking, get the ball in the tee or something like that. But I, yeah, 21, I just, I just, there's things I wish now I, you know, as an adult and you just go back and, and do things differently. But pretty pretty cool experience overall. Yeah, and I imagine it's even hard not to watch him. I mean, I mean that's when he was at his very best, yeah. right? And I'd call it his prime of swimming. I'm sure it's, I mean, you've got a great game. You're there for a job. But I'm sure at some point you're kind of watching some of the shots he hits and go, Yeah, I was, wow. I was playing with, like, Thomas right. Bjorn that day, and he was really helpful. Just be, like, trying to calm me down and just, you know, he was a really nice guy. And, you know, I got to pair with paired it. Only one other time in Tiger was on the Saturday at Torrey Pines after making the cut. You know, I think we were both three under going to the last hole, and I bogeyed 18, and he parted it. But, you know, just that six, seven hour, six, seven years of mature is just the difference of just kind of being not necessarily scared of the, the lights or whatever. It just took me a little bit longer than most guys. Or, yeah, and at that point, right, you're like a, you know, you're a professional golfer, yeah. right? Like, this is what you do for a living. It's not, you know, this is... This is your arena. So then at that point, I'm assuming it's kind of like business as usual. You know, you're expecting yourself to be in those situations. So I'm sure that transitions kind of, you know, from an amateur to a to a professional. That's why you put the work in and kind of worked your way up to being on the PGA Tour, which I was going to ask you about, too. And what was sort of your pathway to get to the PGA Tour? And I know you talked about you needed time to learn to win and to be comfortable mm-hmm. in those situations. Did that – I mean, I kind of know the answer to this already, but – that the developmental tours to get you ready for it, I have to imagine for like your career to be ready for the PJ tour was absolutely invaluable of kind of putting yourself in those situations and being comfortable with it. Yeah, for for sure. It was huge. You know, I first right, right out of college, went to Q school, missed first stage, uh, didn't play very well. And so the options back then were to play the Canadian tour. So I went to Canadian tour, had a great summer. Uh, you know, it was me, Steve Scott, another, you know, runner up USAM, Hank Keeney, played a lot that summer you know that was when golf channel was just kind of coming on um and the main the main tour was on cbs so we got a ton of tv coverage um you know i finished second on the money list which um was able to advance me to second stage of q school uh kind of skip skip a stage but yeah canadian tour was really fun and i played four years on that you know i think it was buy.com at the time back there took me three three years i think i won in my fourth year and um was able to finish six on the money list and just move up. It was just, just like stepping stage, like like a baseball, you know, just moving up to sing, moving up the ranks as a single double A, triple A. It felt like, and then 2006 was my best year out on the on the mini tours, and 2007 was my rookie year. I was ready to go. Yeah, looking at what you did in like 07 and 08 on the PGA Tour, what? I mean, great seasons. I mean, yeah. like an ATM out there. What, what did what did really you know, took off in your golf game to have that level of consistency on the PGA Tour and to play that well for that period of time. Yeah, I think I was just rolling off that that fall finish from the the, the previous summer on the Buy dot com. Um, starting in, um, you know, Sony, I was it was I was really scared that first week. I mean, I think I made the cut maybe on the number that really helped. Then I go to Bob Hope, I make a hole in one on Sunday on number seventeen. And finished four. So just right off the gate, I think I had four top tens in the first five events. Almost went to Phoenix Open. Pretty much choked that away. Um, the whole West Coast swing was really good to me in 07 and 08. 
and just really like those those courses fit my eye. Um, just, just just really riding some momentum. But you know, I, I could never play that well in Florida, other places. But I wish I could bottle that up. Did your golf swing change over time from going like from your USAM to being on the PGA Tour? Was there a lot of work that went into kind of refining it and getting it to where you wanted, you know, that swing to be at to be consistent out there like that? Yeah, big time. You know, I owe a lot of credit to Mike LeBeau, uh out of Scottsdale. Um, basically, I had some back trouble there in 2002. I was a really upright swinger and kind of a timing oriented, so we really got adopted kind of the the one playing Jim Hardy stuff in 2003, 2004. It took a couple of years to kind of really set in, but it got me a lot flatter, more on playing. Um, and that's what really carried me on to the tour because I was really hitting it pretty good. And I've always been a good chipper and good putter. All I had to do is just kind of keep it in play, keep it off the tee, then I was going to be up there. Did you go from playing like a pretty hard draw to a little fade then pretty much with everything? Yeah, you know, I, I was a great iron player. I even I learned more about the golf swing now than I did back then. You know, I always, I wish I could drive it now. Like, you know, I hit better draws now. And I, I just got, understanding the whole trackman thing and swinging up on it, and swinging to the right. You know, I was a great iron player, a great wedge player on tour, but I wasn't a great driver because I think I was down and I was left, kind of making every swing was the same. A wedge, a five iron to a driver was the same swing. My opinion, though, there's a couple different swings that need to be made. Yeah, especially if you're out there hitting down on the ball, right? I'm sure that's when had to be eye-opening if you got on track, man. And you said you actually had a descending attack angle into yeah, a driver. Yeah, when I first got on track, yeah. man, I was like negative three, negative four on track, man. Um, and that's great for irons and great for seven irons. Yeah. And, you know, all those kind of those stack and tilt guys were kind of a, a little bit similar in strategy. Um but, yeah, you can't hit a draw if you're hitting it left and down. So a lot of my driving, I think, inaccuracies and timing on one tour could have been fixed. But if I knew, if I had that type of track man, track man knowledge now, today. Yeah, your generation, my generation, it was you just, you know, you just kind of watched, watched the ball flight and back then made the best you could, you know, of analysis from that, right? Exactly. There was not that kind of stuff out there, and you, you know. And I know a lot of times, like, when guys get on a tour I've talked to, they try to eliminate one side of the golf course. When you're bringing up, like, a one-plane swing, I can picture your golf swing. And to me, it seems like it would be kind of a, for lack of a better word, like a professional cut. Yeah. Where it goes straight and won't go no, left. I mean, you know, and if you can just repeat a, that over and over. Exactly. Kind of that, I mean, I think Zach Johnson hits a draw, but he has, you know, a really strong grip and flat. And then, you know, Matt Kuchar kind of still is doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely... I like to see the ball draw, so it might have been the, might not have been the best swing for me, but at least got me to to the point where I could I wasn't so timing oriented. You know, high and then dropping it in and coming out of your posture and eliminated that high high right shot that got me into trouble before I switched my swing. Yeah. And then I know injuries started to kick it and affect the game a little bit yeah. or a lot. Uh, is is that just sort of like? A small slide here, then a small slide there. The next thing you know, you're making compensations because you're hurt, and it's just hard to get it back, and the body will not respond how it once did. Is it a just one of those sort of slippery slopes? Because I know that you know, as we all know, the line out there is so fine between you know yeah. keeping your card and losing your card. It's very difficult when injured, and I'm 
guessing you went through something kind of like that where the body just won't respond the way you wanted it to and you have to make a tough call then of is it something you want to continue yeah you know i've kind of always battled a herniated disc in my l5 s1 you know did that i heard that in 02 and then i kind of redid it in 09 you know i took six weeks off and i probably should have taken me the whole year off um i was able to keep my card that year but i think i developed some bad habits um as far as coming out of your spine angle because your your body and your brain just say hey you can't stay in that position you gotta you gotta avoid that impact you gotta avoid that torque um and I think it really, looking back, developed some bad swing thoughts and some bad just memory of your body. So, and I wish I would have, you always want to get out there and play, but, you know, everyone tries to play through injuries, but maybe that's not the smartest thing to do. But it seems like it's the most, I mean, you guys are competitors out there, yeah. right? And just to say we're going to shut it down for you, just, it's rare, right? Most of the guys I've talked to grind through an injury, yeah. grind through it and grind through it. And it's like, you guys, it's hard to shut it off, I imagine, when you're out there. Yeah, right? I mean, like, even if you're you say, know, 90%, maybe that's not good enough. You know, you need to be able to to hit more balls. Sit over there and, and grind three, four footers. And then you, you kind of cut your practice short because your back hurts. And it's just kind of a trickle-down effect. But, uh, I was going to ask you, too, you know, when you were on tour, I know, like, you have a reputation of being fun to hang with and having a good time and, and enjoying yourself. Was it damn fun being out there and kind of traveling the world and playing golf? This is all before social media and phone pictures and all that stuff. Where you guys could kind of go out and have a good time, it had to be, you know, is there any good stories you can share without being – you know, nothing too crazy, but was it was it fun? Was yeah, it just no, fun we had to do that? we did have a blast, especially on the mini tours, and the Canadian tour, and you know, you're traveling to Panama, you're traveling to Montreal. There's there's a ton of fun places, and like you said, there is no 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 phones, no pictures, no nothing to be. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, you know, you just people just want to catch you in the wrong situation. And I don't admire these guys nowadays. I don't feel like they they had the fun that we had on a. A trunk slamming Friday night, or a you know a, a Sunday out after a good week, because you know they're afraid to put put you on Facebook or Twitter or something like that. Um, yeah, we definitely had a great crew. Of, uh, you know, my best buddies were Malinger and Charlie Hoffman, who's still out there, and DJ Trahan, and we, you know we hang out with the caddies. We you know just do everything and just and just blow it out if you needed to. Is Malinger still playing professionally anywhere at this point? Um, no, I think he, you know, he invested in uh, a clothing company, made a little good money, Travis Matthews, and then yeah. I think he's just living in California, being a dad, and uh, he's still a heck of a player. I saw him play in a tournament in Scottsdale, but you know, I think we're just kind of like me, just lose a drive for it a little bit, you know, getting your upper upper thirties, and you just tired of the travel try to the grind you know I'm, pre- I'm pretty impressed with you know Hoffman's one of my good buddies and he's 42 43 and looks like he's in his best shape of his life out there and I think that just takes the extra commitment that maybe we weren't able to to do I watched him up close a couple of years ago at the John Deere which is the tournament closest to us where I'm at I'm telling you man he hits it good yeah he it is a heavy hit like that's you watch that like that that dude hits it like a professional it's a He's a big boy, and it is hit. Hit is hit solid. No, yeah, he's, he's like country, ball striking country strong, is and you know he's he's always been a big, best ball striker, a really good ball striker, and I think that just maybe carry. You know, he's got the speed and the strength to play with those young guys. 
Yeah, he yeah he still had fifth gear. There was no question about it, right? Yeah. I mean, he was. It's an impressive. If, you, if anyone wants to watch a ball striker hit a golf ball, Charlie Hoffman is. It is pure. I'll tell you that much when you see it up close. Um, Champions Tour, nine years or so. <laughs> you think maybe there'll be a fire in there to kind of, if you're healthy enough to do it and put the practice in to kind of maybe take a look at that uh, potentially. I I doubt it unless. I just can't imagine. I mean, that's what the hardest Q school to get into. You know, it's only as of that's now brutal. it's like five spots, and um, I think it's down to three. Is it down to three now? I think it's down to three. And yeah, I, you know, and I understand like, they want to like, protect those the good old boys and the big names and the, and the winners because nobody wants to doesn't sell tickets or sell ratings or, or, or suites if you have a 50 year old that's just in shape in shape and nobody knows who their name. That's not the tour they want. You know, they want the big stars, but. You never know. I haven't thought about it. Um, I'm sure you probably throw your Q school. Why not just try it in there and, and, and try it once or twice? But it's not really my long-term goals. Uh, I see these guys on TV now, and they got braces all over, and they got to be <laughs> Advil every day. I don't, I don't think I really enjoy that. Oh, I can, yeah, I've talked to some of those guys out there, and they're like the amount of <laughs> – you know, back. I mean, they're all they're all beat up by this point, right? There's no way around it. You can't swing that hard for that long, uh, you know, without having some issues going on. I was talking to Kelkovecki about. It. He's like, "Oh my gosh, the amount of Advil people have to take just to get you know going." Yeah. Um, they're just beat up, man. There's a lot of hard golf swings on those bodies at that point. Yeah, I mean, I you know, know, I, I know how I'm feeling. Hurt. 41, I'm a little bit out of shape, but I couldn't imagine nine more years and and the grind. I mean, maybe those guys just love love the game or or don't like their wives or family or what, or need the cash. I mean, they're obviously playing for more cash than they probably did in their primes. So they're kind of getting the, the payout on the back end. I think it's they love the competition. Style. Yeah. Like yeah. they've done, like if you talk about Kelk, for example, right? Like he's done it for so long and so successful so he can be on the Champions Tour as long as he wants yeah. to. He's got 14 wins in a major. He, I think they just thrive off they got to have the action. Yeah. And they want the best, you know. I don't. Th- I think it's a hard valve to shut off, you know. Like, what's Bernhard Langer still have to prove? Yeah. And yet, you know, if you go out there and watch him at a Champions Tour event, that dude's putting in twelve-hour days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was out there one morning doing a media thing, and then I left at six at night. And he's still out there. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with that. They played my home course, uh, Phoenix Country Club, for the, the Schwab Cup Finals, and I was down there on like a, you know, a Friday afternoon, and everyone's done and everyone i'm like why is you know these these guys are grinding hitting three four footers like go home have a rest of glass of red wine and a steak like there's no cut you're made the tour championship you don't need to to grind but that's they were still hitting putts after the round so yeah no i was watching esteban toledo and you know he's been a really good player for a long time and i you know i'm so deep into golf, I knew who he was. And I'm watching him hit these, like, I don't know, six irons, must have been, with, like, and it's like an autopilot. And he's beaten, you know, 50 of them in a row. And I'm thinking, dude, every one of them looks exactly the same. I can't fathom what you're looking for. Yeah. Like, it's perfect. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like, bag that up and go home, right? Yeah. Like, it's as good as you can hit a six iron. It's a and it's like, or something. It's just, yeah. yeah, just grinding, man. Those guys still out there are grinding hard. It's, it's pretty crazy. And the commitment and time they put into it. I've just got a couple other quick hitters here for you, and I'll uh, get you out of Dodge and let you kind of go back to your day here. Um, Best stops on the PGA Tour that was just the most fun. I'll take Phoenix out of this. Phoenix has to be like just the blast for the players to play. I can't imagine how guys don't want that atmosphere. I think it would be 
you know, like the greatest thing ever to have that arena. So is there a couple other spots that were like, these are this, this tournament gets it. The town is great. The people are fun. I loved coming out there. Yeah, definitely. A couple of that jumped to uh, the forefront. Definitely Charlotte. Um, you know, they used to throw a player party on Monday night. That's kind of the things they can't do anymore that we used to be, <laughs> that you were kind of digging out earlier. You know, we'd show up to a party and it'd be, you know, tons of girls and, <laughs> and, it's fun, yeah, right? It's yeah. Great. Have a few cocktails on Monday, Phoenix right? Nobody used to do that and they can't do that anymore. But, uh, Byron Nelson jumps up there. Um, same thing. Colton Nose used to have a, and Tommy Armour used to have a party Monday night. Uh, I've heard the TA3 party was like legendary. Yeah. Did you ever attend yeah, one? Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, there was some some sushi involved at one, some of those parties. That The way it was displayed, it was pretty special. So you can probably That's jump to I've that heard. conclusion of that one. But, um, yeah. Players was always awesome. Uh, just you know, Memorial was always awesome at Jack's tournament. Those are the ones that really kind of jump out to me. Best or worst pro-am story? Was there, is there anything stand out of like you got to be shitting me or that was the coolest thing ever? Uh, probably worse. I got hit in the shin pretty hard. Um, this guy <laughs> on his 14th shot, you know, he's on the front of the green. Yeah. He just skulls his chip right in my shin. I, I don't think I was maybe looking at my caddy or looking down at my yardage book. To, yeah, this big old bruise on my shin. That's probably the worst. Um Kind of a cool one was uh, in Vegas. I played with uh, Daniel Negrano. Yeah. That was kind of a cool player. poker player. Um, just really analytical golfer. Like, he was like an 18 handicap. He would dink it down there, dink it on, or dink it short, and then chip and putt. And he'd be like so so pumped to make a net par, you know, or net, net birdie or something like that. And that was really cool because we were playing a lot of poker at that time on the road. And so that was really kind of cool to play with a celebrity like that. Yeah, and getting to, like ask him a few questions yeah, about your game, exactly, right? Like exactly. I'm sure it had to be fascinating. He wants to find out about the you know because of course the pro golfers all want to you know wow. be better at poker than the poker players want to be pro golfers. So that conversation had to be perfect. Yeah, I think I think on the, on the Web.com tour, I, I keep calling it different names. Just switched so many times, but I got to play with Janet Gretzky as my partner one year, and I got to play with uh, Kevin Costner's wife one year. So that was kind of two highlights that were pro-am tournaments that were great best two or three golf courses not tour courses but if you you know architecturally like you went and played them absolutely fantastic is there you know a couple that stand out and traveling around the world that are just incredible to play so you said non-tour golf courses um well, you get a Pebble Beach. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, it, but it doesn't have to be a tour course uh-huh. to say, you know, they're not going to have a tour event at, uh, you know, Seminole. Uh-huh. I know they had the one event out there, but it could be even that level of exclusive private clubs, golden age architecture, you know, that, that, that I kind of gave my, my, never my, my buddy, uh, Scott Kate a plug on this one. A course called, uh, Old Sandwich, um, just south of Boston. It's kind of a hidden gem. Um, Definitely one of the Bandon Dunes courses. I'd say Pacific Dunes is one of my favorites. You know, they didn't play that in the match play, but I mean, there's more pretty holes in that course. Um, I loved Knollwood Country Club in, in Chicago. I think that was a great course. We kind of yeah. played a, uh, a one-day event. You know, we had a really cool experience. of Somehow we were able to play a one-day event with Purdue, Arizona State versus Purdue, and then we were able to, put on our letterman's jacket and go to a Notre Dame ASU football game that weekend. That was a pretty cool uh, college experience. 
not a bad uh, weekend in Chicago. Yeah. Chicago's got some great, great golf courses on the you know the old clubs on the North Shore. There's some there's some fantastic tracks in Chicago. You know, historic clubs. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, some good ones out there. I was going to have to ask you about this as well because I'm in, you know, owning sub seventy golf. I'm in the equipment business. I, the Nick Hent golf deal. Um, it, it's a strange thing, and I know you were like an ambassador for them. And then did, did that whole thing? I've never heard of a company. Didn't they stop paying everybody? Or yeah. what's the backstory yeah. to that? Of yeah, they, I think they were just a, going a, too a, much a small deal. fish in kind of a big pond there. Yeah, I think they're pretty highly leveraged. You know, 2008, 2009 hit, all the economy was going in the tank. And, you know, I, I didn't receive payment like my first and second quarter payment um, for my, you know, carrying their bag and hat and using their equipment. And, you know, they had some, you know, crazy ownership issues. And they really say, hey, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And then, you know, I pretty much lost a whole year in endorsements, which was a real shame, which kind of sucked. And, I really like the driver and really like their hybrid. They made good stuff, just couldn't weather the storm. I think maybe just overextended themselves a little bit, trying to get too much into a market with TaylorMade and Callaway and Titleist. You just couldn't keep up with the big fish. Yeah, because you were kind of like their lead PGA Tour guy at that point in time, right? I mean, you were kind of the face of the company on tour. Yeah, that was really actually kind of the cool part of it. Um, you know, I had a, I had a commercial. They were putting me on magazines and – you know, if you're, yeah. if you're just a tailor-made guy, and if you're not top five in the world, they're probably not going to do that for you. So I really, you know, felt like I was the, their brand and, and was able to, to just kind of be my own little niche. And you know, I, I liked the, the ownership. I like I got along with everybody. I think they just made some poor financial decisions and overextended themselves. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, I, I lost one year of endorsements, and there's nothing to chase, nothing to go after. So. Yeah, I think that's a, like I said, I don't think I've ever heard of a major, and they were, you know, kind of a major company. You said they're doing TV commercials, they're advertising the PGA Tour to just all of a sudden, boom, we're not paying our, our players. Yeah. Like, I remember when that shit hit the fan, I was like, this is the strangest, you know, major OEM company, you know, fallout, for lack of a better word, I've ever seen. I don't ever recall any other company having, you know, a pretty good sized player staff and then having it kind of go to hell in a handbasket. It's, a strange one to say the least. So I figured I'd ask you since they were on the pod of yeah. what exactly. Yeah, I wish I wish I knew or was able to plug, pull the plug earlier and switch mid season or something like that. But just the way you go when you're 28 years old and you're just kind of focused to your golf, you're not really thinking about the company you're you're representing is going to go under. Yeah, I mean that's your agent's job too. Yeah. To probably you know help you a lot. Your job is to play great golf, not you know that's why I have an agent to do those exactly, things. So. Exactly. Exactly. Well, last one I have for you, my buddy uh, who's an eye surgeon just moved out to Eugene, Oregon, and he has been approved to, to join Eugene Country Club. So how good is the course? What's the best hole on the course, and is it worth me to come out there and visit him and, and, and see it? Because I've heard, I've heard it's really, really good. He loved it when he went out there and played last week. So, Oh, uh, yeah, he, for sure. He's, you should definitely uh, take him up on that invite. Um, you're not really, really known for the par threes. Number two is probably one of the hardest – threes I've ever played. It's only 200 yards with no water. Um, but, the, you know, the tall, big Douglas firs, um, fast playing the greens, just kind of your traditional northwest course, you know, that's been here forever. And it's kind of a hidden gem in a small little town. Um, but, yeah, I would take them up on it and definitely play. 
all right, I'm going to have to cut out there at some point and maybe go ski out in Mount Hood at some point in the spring when the weather gets yeah, better. Go out yeah. and, you know, go out and play with them a little bit. So he's excited to join out there, though. He said it was, the facilities were great. The course was fantastic. He absolutely loved it. So thanks for the insights, man. Hey, I appreciate you, you being on. I've enjoyed the conversation, been looking forward to it. So thank you for everything. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, if I'm out in Eugene, Oregon, maybe I'll see you on the tee box somewhere. All right, great. Thanks for having me.